Thank you, guys. Good morning. Um, seeing as how it's Father's Day, and seeing as how I am, in fact, a very proud father of four, I'd like you to humor me this more moment, uh, for a moment as I engage in the fatherly tradition of sharing cute children's photos. And I know how it goes. Where the, the, usually when people share photos with you, the, the, the kids that you see are never really as cute as uh, the parents seem to think that they are. But in my case, this, this has got to be an exception. Um, here's an example, and be honest with yourself. This has got to be the cutest kid in the history of the world. This is me. Um, sitting on my dad's Harley Davidson Sportster when I was eight years old. Was I not adorable? And uh, how about that haircut? I mean, it was so good, I just thought, I'm going to just keep it that way forever. Um, now, growing up, nobody had a cooler dad than me. Nobody. And um, he was a big, huge weightlifter. He raced up at Vandermeer. He always drove cool cars, and uh, he knew how to fix stuff, and he had a Harley. And, and I loved that bike. And um, one time, on just a gorgeous um, Colorado fall day when I was eight, my dad, after a lot of work, got his Harley started, and the engine was roaring, and he told me to grab his old red, white, and blue helmet and crawl on the back. And uh, we got on his Harley that day, and we met up with about five friends of his, and I was the only, the, who all had Harleys too, and I was the only kid who got to go. And, and that day, we rode up through Morris along, Morrison along that gorgeous winding road that leads up to Evergreen. And I still remember holding on to my dad as we went through the turns that day. And he, told me, he taught me how to lean with the bike because you go into curves. And I remember holding on so tight. And when we got up to Evergreen, we all stopped at a place. And I still remember walking into this busy establishment, these six huge, impressive-looking guys and me. And um, I remember sitting on a stool, drinking a Coke, watching my dad shoot pool, and thinking, there is no way that there is any kid on the earth as lucky as me today. And that's my favorite childhood memory of my dad. And, um, and all it cost him was a few hours of his life that he shared with me and a Coke. Um, for the first 15 years of my life, really, I wasn't so much Brian Rickman as much as I was Tim Rickman's son. And for the longest time, that was just a really wonderful, fabulous thing to be. Um, I share all that for a reason. I don't know your story and how you feel this morning as you sit here on Father's Day. Maybe you love your dad so much, you're not hearing me, are you? And he's such an honorable man that your heart is just bursting with love and admiration for him. There are a lot of dads like that in the room this morning, and I know a lot of them. Um, or maybe your dad's not in your life this year, and you miss him. For others, maybe you really never knew your dad. For others, maybe your dad has caused you unspeakable pain, or you've caused his, him pain. Um, or maybe you're a father who's lost a child and, and, and you hurt this Father's Day. Or you're a man who would love nothing more than to be a dad and for whatever reason uh, you can't. Maybe your heart just aches this morning. Father's Day can evoke just a lot of different feelings in people, I know. And um, in his great book, The Applause of Heaven, Max Lucado writes this, quote, My child's feelings are hurt. I tell her she's special. My child is injured. I do whatever it takes to make her feel better. My child is afraid. I won't go to sleep until she's secure. I'm not a hero. I'm a parent. When a child hurts, a parent does what comes naturally. He helps. Why don't I let my father do for me what I am more than willing to do for my own children? I'm learning. Being a father is teaching me that when I am criticized, injured, or afraid, there's a father who is ready to, 
comfort me. There is a father who will hold me until I'm better, help me until I can live with the hurt, and who won't go to sleep when I'm afraid of waking up and seeing the dark ever, unquote. That's the Holy Father who we worship in this place. And regardless of how you feel this Father's Day, we're glad you're here. And I hope you agree that our Heavenly Father is wholly worthy of our praise and our honor and our worship this morning. Remember, He's a Father too. Our scripture for this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where Paul writes in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. This ends our reading from God's word. Let's pray together before we have our message. Father, Uh, This is your day, and we worship you while we're here in this place, Father, and we thank you for the wonderful men who are also fathers who are in this room with us today, and we honor them as well. Father, we just pray um, that as we look at your word this morning, that I would fall away, that all of our worries and concerns would fall away, and we would spend time in your word and have... And we pray that we would be open to what you would have us know and learn, Father, and that we would put it to use. And, Father, that we would remember it, Father, for your glory and because you deserve it. Father, we love you. We give you this day and this time in your name. Amen. Now, you know, the Ten Commandments given by God to the Israelites in Exodus really have a lot of the commandments that you might expect a God to have. Don't worship any other gods. Don't make idols. Don't take his name in, his, in vain. Keep his day holy. Don't kill. Don't, com- don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Perhaps, but perhaps the most interesting one of them all is the command from God that we are to honor our mothers and our fathers, meaning that we are to care for them, show affection for them, and prize them highly. That's the definition of the verb to honor. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, points out that the command to honor your mother and father is the first commandment listed that also comes with a promise from God. That if we obey our parents in the Lord, it may be, go well with us and that we may enjoy long life on the earth. Why do I share that this morning? Because I want to show you where we stand with that commandment in our world today, specifically with regard to honoring fathers. Last month, Just prior to Mother's Day, an article appeared online begging pastors not to honor mothers by slamming fathers. As pastors were preparing their Mother's Day sermons, the author of this article wrote, This Sunday we will extol the value and benefit of motherhood, which is great. But in some churches, this will be done by degrading Christian husbands, which is not great. Then the writer added that most churches will wait till Father's Day to tell men how to be better fathers. Of course, there's nothing wrong with this message when taken as an isolated event, the author wrote. But when compared to Mother's Day, we'll discover that for some reason, many ministers believe that fathers need correction on Father's Day and Mother's Day, but women don't. Why this double standard, the author asks. Because much of the church seems to see men as a problem to be fixed, not a gender to be appreciated. Now let me ask you a question. How can it be that we've gone from God's commandment to honor our mothers and our fathers in a world to, to a world in which we're begging people not to slam fathers on the one day set aside each, day, each year for them and their role in the family to be praised. 
How could we fall so far, so fast? So do me a favor. Look around at the men sitting near you. Seriously, look around at the men sitting in this room. Research shows that between 1965 and 1998, the amount of time on average that men devoted to child rearing increased 170%. A recent study conducted by sociologists at the University of Virginia found that conservative evangelical fathers spend more time with their children, hug and praise them more, are less likely to yell at kids, and commit the lowest levels of domestic violence than any other overall group in America. Research shows that they are the most active, engaged husbands and fathers, and they are the men as a group whose wives report the highest levels of happiness, love, and affection. Researchers in this study concluded that these men, the men in this room who claim to love, honor, and follow Christ, have been found as a group to be the best, most honorable fathers and husbands we have to offer as a nation. And for that, we all say, thank you, guys. There's a lot to honor about the men in this room today and every day. Now, Todd asked me to share some of my thoughts and experiences on being a father. And the three comments that I'd like to share are related to our scripture verse for this morning. And the first thing I want to point out in this verse is that God is, in fact, a father. It's simple, I know. But we should remember on this day that God is a father. And in the scriptures and in the example of Jesus, it appears that he loves this title very much. In Max Lucado's book, The Great House of God, Lucado points out that Jesus refers to God as Father more than 200 times in the Scriptures. And the instances in which he uses this title are fascinating and very touching. The first recorded words of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Didn't you know that I must be in my Father's house? The Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father, who art in heaven. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night Jesus was betrayed, and the Bible says that Jesus was in such pain and agony and praying so hard like that his sweat like drops of blood were pouring to the ground. Christ's prayer was, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And remember Christ's final prayer from the cross when he proclaims in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What father doesn't love to hear his children say father or Abba, which basically means daddy? Why should we expect our heavenly father to be any different? He's a father too. That's the first thing I wanted to point out in our verse this morning. Now, The the second thing that I want to point out in our verse this morning is that in love through Jesus, God predestined us before the creation of the world to be adopted as his sons. And there are some very special reasons why those words mean so much to me. Almost 13 years ago, when I pulled up in front of our, our just charming little house down near City Park, one sunny afternoon, I was greeted in the yard by my wife, who, strangely, was wearing the red dress that I, that, uh, I gave her on the night I asked her to marry me. And um, uh, she made me cover my eyes, and she walked me in our house, uh, stopped me on the landing of our stairs, And as I uncovered my eyes, I saw a small picture hanging on the wall uh, with a picture. uh, It was a picture frame hanging on the wall with a a sticky note and a picture from an uh, ultrasound that basically read, coming in 1995, congratulations, you're going to be a father. And I was ecstatic. I have always, always wanted to be a dad. And it was just an immensely exciting time. Um, 
But like so many other people, uh, God had other plans in mind. In late November that year, uh, we went into premature labor, and we lost our baby. And his name was Casey. And the months that followed that were just excruciatingly painful. Uh, Whenever my wife would see a baby when we were out, she'd cry. And it seemed like there were babies everywhere. And um, when we'd go to church every week, the congregation would start praise singing. And uh, I'd look straight ahead when no one was looking, and, and I would cry. Um, we were absolutely, positively desperate for a baby. And no matter what we did, we couldn't seem to have one. And it just didn't seem right. It felt so wrong. We'd always talked about adopting a child one day, so we looked into it. In fact, we told adoption agencies that we wanted the first healthy baby available. And three weeks after beginning the adoption process, on May 19, 1996, we became parents. I became a dad. And um, we named him Samuel after the prophet in the Bible because the name means asked of God or God has heard. Because we had been desperately asking and begging and pleading God uh, to give us a baby. And he answered us in the most amazing, most incredible uh, way imaginable. And soon after Samuel was born, Cammy got pregnant again. And we were really nervous because we were afraid of experiencing another loss. But nine months later, on August 5th, 1997... We gave birth to our positively delightful daughter named Olivia. Now, back when we decided to adopt Sam, we agreed that we wanted to adopt at least two of our children. Um, So when Sam was two and Olivia was one, we went again to the adoption agency. And like before, we told them we wanted the first baby available. And soon after, we met a young couple that was expecting a baby at any time. And they agreed that they would let us adopt their baby. And on September 6, 1998, our son Elijah was born. So we had a two-year-old, a one-year-old, and a newborn. And the following January, uh, we went with, with Cammie's uh, family on a trip to Sanibel Island, Florida. And, and Eli was on about, just about four months old at the time, and he was just a really good, really easy baby to take care of. Um, and he had just started sleeping through the night. And uh, he, parents, you'll know this look. He, he had just started to get where he'd flash you that smile when he recognizes you that says, Yeah, I know you. And, wonderful. Um, And when we checked into our place on our vacation in Florida, there was a message that the adoption agency wanted us to call them right away. And I remember watching my wife as she stood in the kitchen and took this message and she started to cry. Um, Apparently, over the holidays, Eli's birth parents had changed their minds. And uh, after four months of having him in our family, um, uh, and when we returned to Colorado, they said they wanted Eli back. Uh, So instead of a fun vacation in Florida... We spent the week in Florida taking turns walking along the beach and holding Eli. And uh, the day after we got home, my in-laws took Sam and Olivia for the day. And uh, Cammie and I packed up Eli's things and we sat in our living room and waited for the adoption agency to come and take our son. And uh, this is a photo from that morning. And it all felt so wrong. Um, I remember us standing together in the living room, crying and praying and asking God why all this was happening. And it felt so wrong. And uh, we begrudgingly told God that we were going to obey and go through with this. That God had so incredibly made us parents and had so graciously blessed us with so much. Who are we to reject him, direct our fury at him? And later that morning, a lady from the adoption agency came and knocked at our door. And she was crying, and we were crying. The only one who wasn't crying was Eli. And that woman took our son, and we never saw him again. Um, compounding all this, as we found out much later, 
after having Eli for about a week that the birth parents changed their minds again. They decided they didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to raise Eli after all. And instead of calling us or our adoption agency, they put him in foster care. I'd add that since, we've, uh, since then, we found out that the family that was fostering Eli fell in love with him and have since adopted him. But when we were in the middle of all, it seemed so wrong and so pointless and so cruel. And Cam and I were devastated again, as was our extended family. In fact, in the three months surrounding these events, I was in three car accidents, and I caused every one of them, which you can keep in mind in the parking lot today. <laughs> After all this, we told the adoption agency that while we still wanted to adopt again, we needed some time to get over everything that had happened. And, uh, but three weeks later, on the evening of February 3rd, 1999, we were lying in bed when we got another desperate call from the adoption agency. A tiny baby girl had been born at Swedish Hospital, and they didn't have a family to take her. And they wanted to know if we'd agree just to see the baby and find out a little bit more. Uh, and I still remember seeing Annie for the first time and just shaking. She was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. And I just started shaking. And she's still the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Um, she didn't replace Eli. She wasn't better than Eli. But she made us see that God's plans are good and perfect, yes. But they are also very different from our own and you know the amazing thing about having gone through everything with um, with eli and trying desperately to be faithful through it all is if you had to pick the one fruit of the spirit that annie has in great abundance and that god brought to our family through her it through all of this it's joy annie's greatest fruit is that she and her wife are absolutely overflowing with joy well, about nine months later, amidst a screaming case of kidney stones, my wife gave birth to our final uh, child, I think, and um, uh, our, just our wonderful son, Kobe. Now, the truly incredible thing I realized about adoption through Sam, Eli, and Annie is this. There was absolutely no me and no Cammie in receiving the incredible gifts of these children. Out of every child in the history of the world who has ever been born or whoever will be born, God chose Sam to be my son. He chose Annie to be my daughter. It was 100% God carried out through the amazingly heroic birth mothers and birth fathers who made us parents. All we had to do to make these children ours was to say, yes, sign me up. I want that deal. And, and it's like for that for all of us in Christ, as we see in verses 4 and 5 of our scripture this morning. Before the creation of the world, he predestined you, and he predestined me to be his sons, as we see in this verse. Our role in the deal is to realize our desperate need for a Savior and for a Father in heaven and say, yeah, sign me up. And when we do, we're adopted in Christ. There's a third and final thing I want to point out from our verse this morning. My father-in-law, who is also one of my favorite fathers in the world, often says that the most powerful ideas in the world are both simple and basic. And the last thing I want to point out is simple, yes, but it's also very powerful. As we saw first, God is a father. Second, he adopted us from before the creation of the world through his son. And the third thing in all of this is that he has done these things in accordance with his love and with his pleasure. 
God takes pleasure in being a father. You know, I, I tried to think of something intellectual or wise to say about being a dad this morning, and the truth is, I just don't think wisdom's a really big part of it. And not in my case, at least. But in thinking about it, I guess the one characteristic I see in all of the great dads that I know, and, and it was definitely true of my dad, is that great, is that great dads take genuine pleasure in their kids and, and in being around their kids. They genuinely enjoy and take pleasure in being with their kids. That's important, I think, because I don't really think that the most powerful, lasting memories or the finest work that we do as parents are the things that take place in the formal, too often contrived parenting moments that we try to create. I think they take place in those random daily moments when we're just going through life and we take time to take pleasure in our kids. As a father, it, it seems like when I try too hard to be smart or to create parenting moments, more often than not, it turns out to be an absolute disaster. Here's an example, and, and with this we'll wrap up. Aside from John Elway, the greatest athlete of my generation, in my opinion, has been Michael Jordan. And about five years ago, Michael Jordan was coming through town one last time when he was playing for the Washington Wizards. And even though he was hurt when the Wizards came to Denver and he wasn't expected to play, I thought, wouldn't it be cool for my kids to one day be able to, be able to say they saw Michael Jordan play? And um, my father-in-law, during uh, that time, had seats that were about three rows behind the visiting team's bench at the Pepsi Center. And we got the tickets that night because nobody thought that Jordan was going to play that night. And so I left work early. I picked up the kids. I brought them the requisite Happy Meal at McDonald's. And I wanted everything to be perfect. I wanted my kids to have a Jordan moment. And um, we got to the game, and there, sitting 20 feet from us, in a sweatsuit, was Michael Jordan. And as the second quarter of the game, we got to, when we got to the, about the middle of the second quarter, the greatest basketball player in the history of basketball got up, took off his sweats, walked right by us, and got ready to enter the game. And I went absolutely bananas. It's Michael Jordan. It's Michael Jordan. <laughs> and, as my, and my young kids, as you parents might have imagined, couldn't have cared less. Um, Daddy, where's Rocky? Daddy, where's the blimp? Daddy, can we get some Dippin' Dots? Daddy, I have to go to the bathroom. Anyway, we watched Jordan play until halftime, and then we had to go because the kids had school the next day. And everyone around us had gotten up to get their nachos and their sodas and their beer and stuff. And that's when Olivia, my daughter, pulled on my shirt and said, Daddy, Annie dropped her shoe. And Annie's black, fake leather-looking shoe had dropped down in this bleacher section where we were sitting. And I could see the shoe, but I couldn't quite reach it. It was just out of my reach. And I mistakenly thought, man, if I come home without this shoe, my wife is going to kill me. And, uh, and you know how the floors and arenas are. I mean, kind of sticky from that mix of, of beer and pop and nachos and spit. And... So I did what a man has to do. I... I stretched out on my stomach on all that stickiness and tried desperately to reach that shoe. If I could have popped my shoulder out of its socket to reach it, I would have. And it was just out of, out of reach. And um, so then I thought, you know, my kids are pretty small. They might fit in this space. And so I took Samuel and I tried to jam him down there to get down and get this shoe. And he was too big. And so I thought, you know, Olivia's a little smaller. And... Um, <laughs> She was in her cute little flowered dress and tights, 
And I, I remember getting her all the way down in this space until she got to her ears. And then they got caught in the bleachers. And so I thought, I'm going to push a little more. So I'm going like that. And, and, and Olivia starts to go, ow, daddy, ow, daddy. And so I had to stop. And as I peeled myself up off the floor, the people in our row had gotten back and they were, they were uh, standing there watching all this and waiting to get to their seats and a little perturbed. Even a couple of the wizards on the bench were turned around and looking to see what this was all about. And uh, at that point, I lost my temper. I grabbed Kobe's arm and stormed up the stairs toward the parking lot. And Sam and Olivia were clinging to my coat to keep up. And we got to the top of the aisle and Olivia said, Daddy, Daddy. And with absolutely no patience left, I said, what, Olivia, what? And then she asked, what about Annie? And I looked down to where we'd been sitting, and there was Annie standing in the aisle, bawling and sucking her fingers, thinking that I was leaving her forever. And at that point, you should have seen it. That's pretty much what the people there did. Everybody in unison stopped what they were doing, looked down the aisle at this crying kid, and then in unison turned back around and glared at me as if I had to be the most evil person in the history of the world. And I tromped down the stairs under the glaring eyes of the crowd and grabbed Annie and huffed back to the parking lot and roared onto I-25 in my minivan. That The night had been an absolute disaster. I was mad. I was sticky. Sam was crying because he'd lost his Happy Meal toy. Annie and Kobe were crying because they were tired. And my daughter, Olivia, decided to make this a teaching moment. Mommy wouldn't lose Annie's shoe. Mommy wouldn't get mad. Mommy's patient. Mommy's nice. Mommy's pretty. I just thought, that's just great. That's great. All I wanted to do was let my kids see Michael Jordan. That's all I wanted. And... Uh, and I just didn't want to hear any more from, from my kids. So I turned on the CD player and turned it up really loud. And we had some kids CD in there. And it, these cute little kids started singing, Jesus Loves Me. And I wish I could say that I was touched and it changed my whole night. But it really didn't. Um, I remember thinking, no, I don't want Jesus to love me right now. I want him to turn his eyes away for 10 minutes while I scream and yell and throw a tantrum and kick this minivan up to 120 on Santa Fe. Like I said, it, it seems like when I try too hard to be smart or to create parenting moments, more often than not, it turns out to be an absolute disaster. But it's in those regular, everyday moments when I just sit back and take pleasure in being a dad and, and enjoy my kids. I mean, that's when the magic happens. And that's like it did for me when I was a kid. So as we've covered, God is a loving father. Through his son, we're adopted into his family. And, and we've seen that he takes loving pleasure in being a father, and so should we as parents. And remember to honor the fine men in this room today, too, and every day, because they are worthy. What a noble passion is a father's love. It is an image in miniature of the love of God. Now let's have Todd or Pastor George come up and, and close us with a prayer and benediction. Right before, um, there we go. Right before Jesus left, before he ascended into heaven, he did an amazing, astounding thing, especially to those disciples watching him. He raised his hands to bless. No one but the high priest could raise their hands to bless. And in doing that, those disciples must have been, whoa, there's a new high priest in town. And our Lord and Savior didn't stop with that. He also said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. 
including the authority to bless. And then you know what He did? He gave us. He gave you the power of God to bless. On Father's Day, especially, you fathers out there, whether you have to call your kids or if you see your kids today, one thing you might try to do, go and bless your kids today. They might look at you a little funny if you've never done it before. Put your hand on their head, around their shoulder, around the, on their arm and say, Johnny, I bless you in God's name. See what God does with that, would you? And now receive God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause His face to smile upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. His shalom. In the name of Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Happy Father's Day. If you would like someone to pray with you this Father's Day, please come on down. There are folks eager to meet you and to pray. Go in peace.